be home to, for their trick-or-treaters or pass out candy and tracks, things like that, or whatever it might be. But, and also, we're going to try to have some Halloween or fall tracks for you, so that way, if you want, that you can uh, take those and stick them in a goodie bag that evening if you want to. But that evening, what we're going to do is have the Lord's Supper serve at 6 o'clock, so that way it's a special time, a special service, special purpose. So if you can, come to that. Um, as well, too, if you're a first-time visitor day, welcome, and it's good to have you. And uh, if you could, you, I don't know if they got to you, you can slip up your hand. We've got a little card for you to fill out. Just want to say thanks for coming. We've got a little gift for you as well on the way out the door. But we want to thank you all for coming today and uh, grateful for what God's doing and uh, what God is uh, able to do. So uh, this morning, after all those announcements, I want to go ahead and pray for us and uh, to ask the Lord to help us, to meet with us, and that he would be glorified today in everything that we say and do. And then we're going to worship God today. That's why we're here today. Amen. All right, the three of you, the rest of y'all are going to have a terrible time because the other three, we're going to worship the Lord today. That's what we're going to do, all right? That's why we're here. But let's pray today and ask God uh, for God's blessing and for God's help today. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this life that you've given to us. God, I pray that you would, um, today as we meet, Lord, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. God, that we would worship you with our whole hearts and that our, our hearts would be prepared to worship you, God, that we wouldn't have anything on our hearts that are keeping us from focusing on you. And God, if we do, God, I pray that you would give grace and help, strength to us now just to rid our mind and to clear our hearts and minds of anything else, God, that you would be at the forefront of everything. Today, that everything that would be said and done and, and preached and, and even in our fellowship with one with another, that it would be Christ-centered and Christ-focused. God, that we would preach the gospel today, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts. Lord, if there's one who doesn't know you today as Savior, and Lord, that you would save them today. God, that they would um, leave here today uh, a new creation in Christ. And Lord, today, if there's others who are just struggling with sin or struggling with circumstances of life, that today, that your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit would accomplish what you set forth and that hearts and lives would be changed. God, we do pray that we could impact this community. God, help us be busy for what you want us to be busy for and not just for busyness sake. God, we do want to pray and lift up the Midka family to you and continue to pray for uh, dear Janice that you would give help uh, to her lungs, that she would have some flexibility in her lungs and some continued uh, improvement. Lord, we do pray for the patience and the perseverance in our prayer for that and as well for everything else going on in our lives. God, I pray that today, that as we meet with you, that you would show forth your power and your presence in us today and God, that you would do great and mighty things. We love you. We thank you once more for this time. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thessalonians 5.18 And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Please stand if you're able as we start our worship in the song Give Thanks, hymn number 170.
hymn number 753, Jesus is coming again. I like that message, amen. He said in John 14, 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. What a comforting verse. Marvelous message we bring, glorious carol we sing, wonderful word of the King, Jesus is coming again, coming again. my Jesus I love thee hymn number 79 it says in 1st John 4 19 we love him because he first loved us sing my Jesus I love thee with that verse in thought
look right, wave at somebody, speak to somebody. We have some very special guests here this morning, Leo and Corley, our former pastor and his boss, I mean his wife. <laughs> we love y'all and glad y'all are here, Pastor Neil and Corley. All right, we hope everyone has been made to feel welcome, and right now, we're going to have a little special music by Miss Ann Stone. So, Miss Ann, you come on.
dare say that every person in this room has been through a storm and if you know Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior he certainly has been your shelter your hiding place amen well join with me in prayer as we ask God to unite our hearts today and as we continue to sing and worship our God and our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ Pray with me as we bow. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this day again. This day you made, Lord, we rejoice and are glad in it. We praise you for the opportunity to come to your house, this assembly, and meet together to bring honor and glory to you, to worship you, the Most High God. Please help us to do that, to worship you in spirit and in truth here today. We ask, Lord, you'd give our pastor liberty and boldness and unction a fresh touch from heaven lord that he might to have clarity of thought clarity of speech to proclaim the great truths from your word lord to preach your word here today and lord be uh, touching hearts convicting us of sin and wrong things in our life lord encourage hearts that need encouragement and bless where blessings are needed. And we'll always give you the praise, honor, and glory for all that you do. And we just ask, Lord, that you would touch that heart that might not know you as Lord and Savior here today. And make that heart tender. And, Lord, that they would accept you as Lord and Savior. Trust in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask all things. Amen. All right, hymn number 786, Count Your Blessings. We have many to count. Uh, Ephesians 1.3 said, God hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Please stand if you're able as we sing, Count Your Blessings. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count 
important part of the service our pastor's going to preach the word the powerful word of god to us give pastor a great big hand all right i think the kids might be excited more excited than the adults are praise the lord for that uh, this time those excited kids ages four to six can be dismissed at children's church right out this side door here I'm sure we got them. They sounded like we had them. Do we got them? We got a couple. They're coming. All right. Take your Bible with me and turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 3 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is going to be our springboard, our foundation, our very beginning. Um, and this morning, um, I'm not going to worry about the clock. I'm not going to worry about the watch. And if you have somewhere to go and you got to go, I understand. All right. <laughs> Hold on. Let's read the scripture this morning as we begin. We're going to be looking in this month of October something that is very serious on my heart, and that is our foundations of faith. And today we're going to be looking at what is referred to sometimes as sola scriptura or the scripture alone. We need the scriptures, not added on to our life, not added on to our church service, but it is the foundations of our faith. We're going to see as we build upon this that we unfortunately in today's world have crumbling churches and crumbling believers and crumbling homes because the foundations have not been laid nor believed. Today, the Word of God, the Bible, tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16, all Scripture, I will repeat that, all Scripture, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank You for this morning. Thank You for the songs sung and lifted up to You in praise. God, I pray that now that the worship would not stop, but Lord, we worship as we hear Your Word preached. God, help our hearts to be full. Help our hearts to be challenged. God, today, if there's one who needs to know you as Lord and Savior, God, would you save them? Would you convict them? Uh, Lord, that they have nowhere else to turn. They have nowhere else to go. God, today, would you do a work that only you can, God, unless we've met in vain. Lord, please, by your Holy Spirit, preach through your word. God, open up my mouth and that you might speak. God, help us today. I beg of you. In Christ's name, amen. Today, as we look at the word of God, that's exactly what we need. I want to go ahead and start by saying, Today and every other time that we meet and this Bible is open and preached, which that's what happens when we gather here. It's according to the Scripture. It's what we're called to do. I have no problems if you disagree with me, the preacher. But the moment you disagree with the Word of God, you are out of bounds. 
And the moment that I don't preach this Bible, I am as well. We might have difference of opinions, different thoughts, different views, but when it comes down to it, this is God's Word. And it must be treated as such. And if we believe that this is God's Word, then I would ask, why does the average believer not read it, study it, or know it? I'd say it's because we don't really think that it's God's Word. We just think it's another book. Now, we would never say that, but our lives, our heart lives, our, our prayer lives our shallow hearts and shallow beliefs and shallow practices and shallow church services would certainly show forth that we don't believe this book like we say we do. And I believe in our foundations of faith as we're going to look at this month. We're going to return to these things and nail these suckers down as our fathers and forefathers have. And some would look at us and call us crazy or, or, or we're, we're out there, we're too far. I want you to know we're not far enough. And that's the issue. You guys know more than I do, throughout the 70s and 80s, there were fast food wars and still are today. As a matter of fact, you, you can see today the fast food wars, even our own little corner of town. We got Hardee's, Aunt B's, we got Burger King, McDonald's is up the road by the interstate, the whole nine yards to see which one's the best. Now, the church could probably be split over which one's the best or which one's the worst or the least good. Because let's be honest, none of them are great. <laughs> One, you can go and it's going to be cheap and you're not sure what it's made out of. Another one, you can have it your own way. And another one, you're just going, well, the other lines were too busy. <laughs> the fast food wars of the 80s, Wendy's came out fighting. And I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Wendy's. I love their marketing strategies. I like how they go about it. But in the 80s, they had perhaps one of the strongest and best commercials ever. And it didn't have much to do with the color or the aesthetics of the restaurants. It had to do with a little old lady and a burger. All right, so a few of you guys who remember it know it. Okay, good. There's this giant burger with a giant bun and a little, little itty bitty patty, and she looks and she's lifting. She goes, Where's the. Hey, see, look at y'all. I like that participation today. Where's the beef? Today, spiritually speaking, where's the beef? Where's the meat of the Word of God? Where is the beef in our lives? We have the. Special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun, and we ain't got no patties. We have no beef being preached from the pulpits. We have no beef being studied by the people in the pews, and we're starved to death. We have no protein from the Word of God, even though it's there, and we refuse to eat it. We need to return to the Word of God today. The, the plan of God is not found in, in programs, but in preaching. It's not found in entertainment, but it's found in the exposition of the Scripture. It's not found in worldliness, but in worship. It's not found in the words of man, but in the words of God. From the first verse in Genesis to the last in Revelation. And if you don't like one particular part of the Bible, or one verse rubs you wrong, or really messes with you so you try to skip over it, that's the one you need the most today. We must not shy away from the Word of God. As we talked about several weeks ago, it is the sword of the Spirit. It is the sword of the Lord to pierce our hearts and to lay us open and bare and even naked before God. That There is nothing that can be hidden. There is nothing that we can hide before God. We need the Scripture today. You could come today and I could give you politics and philosophy and you would still leave here today lost and undone and not knowing God. 
and I would be judged for it. And woe is me if I preach not the gospel. If you ever come here and I don't, you better throw me out of here. And we'd say that about the preacher, wouldn't we? But what if we said that about ourselves? We didn't believe it. Preach it. Obey it. First of all, today, our springboard is going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is the, the purpose of Scripture, the beginning uh, of this, uh, to kind of lay this foundation of understanding the Scripture alone. And I would have you know this. You and I have multiple copies of the Scripture, but there's believers in the world today who, who don't even have a whole fragment, not even a, a whole book that's found in the precious Word of God. And you and I, unfortunately, we don't treat it as nearly as precious as we should. This is the Word of God that God inspired the original authors to, to write down and that God, by His providence and perseverance, preserved His Word so that you and I, some 2,000 years plus years later, would be able to read and to know the Word of God so that we might know Him. So that we might have access to what He has revealed, to what He has given. And it is about this book. There have been those who have literally died to translate this book into the common language for the common people so that they might know this extraordinary God who has revealed Himself through this book. We forget about the seriousness of the Word of God because no one's looking for our heads. Because we're not on the run for our lives. Because we're not having to smuggle this thing when we leave our homes. We forget that God, through the blood of martyrs, has preserved and given us this book, and may we not take it so for granted the next time we lay it down on our coffee table when we get home from church. The Word of God. It begins in verse 16. All Scripture. I'm going to give you an easy lesson here, and I want you to get this. All in this verse, it means all. There are those who would say, well, this is just one particular portion. There are some who say, well, Scripture is just what Jesus said. Well, Jesus quoted the Old Testament. How about uh, there are those who also say we just need the New Testament as believers today. That's baloney because the New Testament is full of every single author quoting the Old. We do not throw out the Old Testament just because we're New Testament believers, but rather we glean and we learn and we study to see how God has revealed Himself from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22. God has given this. From Genesis to Revelation, this is the full and I would say final revelation. We're not looking for signs and wonders. We're not looking for tricks uh, that you can find in a parlor. We're certainly not looking for an extra book like a Book of Mormon or the, uh, the Watchtower or this or that, because there's no more inspiration outside of this book. If you want to know what God has to say, open up this Bible. And I've said it a million times, and I'll say it again. If you want to hear God audibly, read it out loud. This is God's Word. If you want to see the authors, this is uh, all throughout Scripture. I'm just going to give you references today to help you out with that. Verse 15 teaches us this, and that from a, a child thou hast known the holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Notice that. What would have Timothy been reading? The Old Testament? How did he know about Christ in the Old Testament? Because it is full and everywhere. This book, it's not about you. And it's not about me. Nor is it about mankind. Nor is it even just about our history. It is about God and His Son, Jesus Christ. The peak of everything. 
the, the point, the, the one that we look to, the one that the Old Testament prophesies and foretells and looks forward to, and the one that here we look back and see what he's done, and we look forward to what he's going to do, and we look now at what he's doing today. He's still at work. Ephesians 2.20 discusses this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. They all line up and say, hey, what that guy's writing. Peter says, hey, what Paul's writing. Hey, it's the Scripture. But Paul says, what I'm writing, it's Scripture. Those who wrote the Bible didn't do so by their own accord, but were moved by the Holy Ghost of God. And they believed it was His Word. We must as well. We have one God. We have one book, one message, and one focus. And it's not us. It's Christ and Christ alone. The Bible is not about you, but for you. It is the divine revelation of God Himself to you so that you might know and be reconciled to Him by the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ who was slain and risen for your sins. How do I know? Because of what the Bible says. A few short weeks ago, <coughs> had a couple ladies who were walking the church inside and uh, walking and singing. It's a sweet sound for a pastor in his study. And they sang, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Oh, how we've missed that as we've grown older. May we not lose the simple truth that Jesus loves me and I know it because His Word has told me. And my life reveals His love within me. And if you want proof of the love of God, look no further than the Word of God, but you can look up at that cross right there and it didn't look nearly as pretty on that day that He died for your sins and became your sins and mine. It was old and rugged and wooden, full of splinters and covered in His blood. And His blood flowed to save you from your sins. And how do I know? Not because I was there, but because those that were there recorded it. And God revealed and said, this is what I've done for you. And we have the opportunity here because we all have the same Bible here to either read, believe, receive, or to reject it. And most of us, we would say we believe it, but we reject it in our practice because we choose preference over what the Bible has to say. We choose it's always been done this way over what the Bible has to say. We take what I want and we spit out the rest. This is not a book to do that. We don't change the Bible to fit our life. We fit our Bible, excuse me, we fit our life to, to fit the Bible. We change, not the Bible. The Word of God is, is sealed and it's sacred forever. Alistair Begg says, We find Christ in all the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, He is predicted. In the Gospels He is revealed. In Acts He is preached. In the Epistles He is explained. And in Revelation He is expected. This is about our Lord Jesus Christ who was there before the foundations of the world and made all things. And by His hand, all things exist and are sustained. And even more so that by the blood of His cross and by Him literally being nailed to the cross, and He in turn nails our sins and our old life to the cross so that you and I would be dead in, uh, who were dead in sins and trespasses now would be dead to our sins and trespasses and alive in Him because He did not stay on that cross. How do I know? This Bible tells me, prophesying in the Old Testament, 
shown in the Gospels, and preached in the New Testament that Christ is risen today. That's our life. That's our hope. That's our focus. And this is our foundation. We don't need more politics in church. We need more preaching of the Word of God. We don't need more news in our life. We need more Bible in our life. I would love and I would challenge anyone to say, Preacher, that was just too too much Bible today. (laughs) No, I'd rather have someone say, Give me some more Bible. I want you hungry for the Bible. I want to give you a steady diet of the Bible. You know why? So that way then you will want the Bible. The reason why I, every morning, every day, have got to get in the Bible is that I want the Bible. But you will never want the Bible unless you know Christ, and you will never know Christ unless you have been changed from within. As he talks about here, all Scripture, he says, first of all, is inspired. The inspiration of God. The word is theopneustos. The first word being in that word, theos, or theos, meaning God. And neustos, which is the same word that we get spirit from, or breath, or wind. It is that God literally breathed out His Word. We have told and been seeing from the Scripture in our studies that it is by the breath of God, the Word of God, that the universe is expanded and expounded and thrown into existence and, and then sustained forever until He decides enough's enough. I'll make a new heaven and a new earth. We're in dwelleth righteousness. My people dwelling with me, and me dwelling with my people by faith. This is God-breathed, or breathed by, from God. God is the source, God is the revealer, and God is the ultimate purpose behind this. This Bible is not so that we would know more about ourselves, but it's that we would know more about God, and not just know more about God, but I want to know Him. I don't want to just know about God. I want to know Him and the power of His might. I don't want to just know facts about the Bible because that won't get me to heaven. I don't want you to just to know facts about the Bible because it won't get you nowhere neither. I want you to know God and you will only know God through His Word. God's breathy words breathe life into those who authored these Scriptures. Over a couple of thousand years of the different writers and the the way that God has done this is so marvelous. To be honest, this is a weeks-long study about how the Word of God has been inspired and preserved for us so that you and I might be able to read it in our language today and to see it, to study it, to know Him so that we might be able to, to know God and to walk with God, but to see how God has worked in it. There is no other book made by man that can say the same thing that is ancient. Literally, we have thousands and thousands of proof text showing how God passed down His Word and kept His Word and revealed His Word and and preserved it so that you and I would have it. Meanwhile, we have more proof that the Bible is the Word of God and is pure and intact than we do that the Odyssey was actually a real thing written. We have more proof that the Bible is the Word of God than we do many other ancient texts and copies of things. By a long shot. I'm talking about we got two or three fragments of some ancient things of the uh, Near East or, or of other religions and things, and, and most of them don't even have that. We've got not only the proof of the Bible being preserved by matching up the manuscripts, but as well showing historical, archaeological, and not only that, but your own personal life that is different because of this book. It's not an old dead book with just black and white words. This is the living, breathing, breathy Word of God. And if it doesn't change you, it's because you don't want to be changed. It's because you are hard-hearted with ears that are shut up or eyes that can't see. 
This Word of God, when it's preached, it accomplishes what God sets forth for it to preach. I have confidence not in my ability. I have confidence not in, in my uh, ability to, to speak or to do anything. I'm weak and frail. I don't deserve applause. I don't deserve a, a handshake. I'm a weak, frail man who has been saved by a great and gracious good God according to His Word. And the same would be said for each person out there today. We must have a right view of who we are and who God is, and we have that based upon the Scripture alone. It is God who not only breathed inspiration to the human authors, but into every divine word as well. Yet God does not override their talents and style and vocabulary or grammar or the author. He worked in and through these things to give us a book that is varied in its content and style, but unified in its message and teaching. This is 66 books into one book that has one message because ultimately it's got one author. And Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. The one who stands behind and goes before and walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He is the finish line. He is the prize. He is the purpose. We know that from His Word. Secondly, the Word of God is this. It is infallible. It is not only inspired, which we harp on and we understand, but to deny inspiration, we know that it is to deny inspiration is to deny everything else. It's, it's to not understand the rest of who God is. Without inspiration, how could we have the destination of heaven? We wouldn't have it. How could we trust in it? The Bible is also infallible, which means the Scripture is incapable of failing. It remains true. As a song was sung earlier about the storms of life, has there ever been a time when God has not remained faithful or true? Has there ever been a time in your life, and please share with the rest of us, that God has let you down, or His Word has not been true, or His Word has not lifted you up, or His Word has not convicted you, or His Word has not brought you to your knees, or His Word has not lifted you up from your knees and back on your feet and lifted up your head again to our Redeemer? Has there ever been a time? No. His Word is infallible. The Scripture is permanently binding in all ways and for all times. So when it says something is sin, it is sin every time. The culture changes. The truth of God's Word never does. Sin is sin. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. And if you don't like it, then you better get yourself right. It is this book alone that we stand upon. That we have the authority to do so. Do you think that the preacher likes to say that X and Y and Z and A, B and C is sin? No, we don't like it, but guess what? We have to. Because it's true. And we need to hear it. For our own sakes. The Word of God, mind you, by the way, what we don't like, doesn't just talk about the sins of the rest of the world. It talks about yours and mine. It talks about our pride and our gossip, our wicked tongues and our wicked hearts and our wrong motives and our wrong attitudes and our bad attitudes that we choose. The Word of God is sharp. Infallible. And because it's infallible, it's infallible because... Who's the source? He says, all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is just an ordinary book written by an ordinary man. It would be perfectly fallible. It would have all sorts of errors and mistakes, but if you have an error or mistake that's found in Scripture, I would love for you to come and show me after. And I will show you just the Word of God as plain as can be because that's what's going to be true every time. That's why I said earlier, you can disagree with me all you want to, but don't disagree with the Scripture. We might have a difference of opinion, but one day I'm thankful that one day 
I'm going to look into the eyes of the Word of God Himself. Jesus Christ the righteous, my advocate now, my redeemer, the propitiator of my sins, the one who has saved me, the one who I'm going to be with one day. And the difference that I had with someone here on this earth ain't going to matter when I'm looking at Christ. <coughs> Furthermore, it's inerrant. We hear these three eyes used all the time, don't we? The Bible, the Bible is inspired, infallible, and inerrant. Inerrant rides sort of the coattails of infallible, but it's slightly different. It's that it means it's totally true, it's reliable, without any errors with its original authors who God spoke to in order to pen his revealing words, be preserved so that you and I might know what he has and exactly what he has intended for us. This can only be said because of who God is, not because, not because of the authors, not because of those who have translated the Scripture, not because of those who preach the Scripture, but because of the character and nature of who God is. The Bible is inspired and fabled and errant, not because we just decide for it to be, but because God declares it to be. It is true because of who He is, and because God won't change, the truth of His Word will never change. Furthermore, it is profitable, he says. In the Scripture, verse 16, it's profitable. Profitable means is good. It's good for this purpose, for this use. It's profitable, first of all, for doctrine. Doctrine. Doctrine is... This is our teaching. This is what we know and why we believe it. This is what we believe, why we believe it. This is to know doctrine. There are those who would say, well, you know, I like going to such and such church because it's not all doctrinally. It gives me the practical stuff. You and your practical mess won't have a leg to stand on if it's not based on doctrine. You can have all the practical Jesus-y, churchianity all you want, but if you ain't got doctrine based upon the Scripture, then you've got nothing. You have, a, you have a glass house made out of rubber bands. I mean, it just makes no sense. It's, it's not there. There's nothing to stand on. There's no, there's no foundation. There's no way that it can hold itself up. There's no way it can protect you. There's no way it can encourage you. It's just kind of there. You have works, dead works, that are filthy in the sight of God. We need doctrine. And it's doctrine that helps us to know the Word of God. Reproof and correction. These are the ones we don't like. Reproof is to be convicted by the Word. If I came here to tickle your ears, I wouldn't be preaching this book. And if you came here to get your ears tickled, you came to the wrong place. Matter of fact, Paul then tells Timothy, preach the Word. Be in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with a long-suffering and doctor. Notice he never says, Timothy, you better have a rod of iron in that church, boy. You better tell them what to do. You better make it sure it's done your way. You better make sure you got your preferences in line. You better make sure they got this straight and that straight. He says, preach the word, because if I just preach the word, then that's good enough. Why? Because what I've got to say don't matter compared to what God has to say. It's not what thus what Pastor Joe has to say or such and such preacher. They are great tools and there's other great resources out there, but we're talking about God's word. Now, this does not mean, mind you, that we only read the Bible, but it means that everything that we read must line up with the Bible. Everything that we believe and practice must line up with the Bible. It certainly means that we glean some good and some bad and smelt some bones with some folks, but at the end of the day, our authority and only authority is found in between these pages. What God has given. Third, it's given for correction. 
We're not just to be convicted by the Word, but the Word does more than that. It corrects us. The correcting is not just saying, you dummy, you sinned again. It's saying, you dummy, you sinned again, and here's why you did it, and here's what you do about it. Correcting goes not just a punishment, but saying, hey, that is wrong, but here's why it's wrong, and here's how it can be paid for. Here's how it can be made right. It's not enough just to beat us over the head. We need more than that. We need our hearts to be changed, to be corrected. It's to be moved by our conviction. Lastly, instruction means that we're changed. We see the progression here. It's an inside out. And he even says, well, the man of God may be perfect. Now, that does not mean uh, perfect in the sense that sinless. It means that we're complete, that we're whole, which every believer should be. If you've got a hole in your heart today, the Bible will certainly fill it. If you've got a hole in your life or a need in your life, the Word of God will take care of that thing just like that. It's the super glue of the spiritual life. It'll fill a hole. It'll hold it together. It'll do the whole thing, right? It does it all. Furthermore, the purpose of the Word of God as we see in these two verses, you might be thinking I'm letting you off early, but there's another passage we're going to turn to, so don't, don't worry. There's more we've got to get to. The purpose and our purpose today is fourfold with the Word of God. The Word of God allows us to know Christ. The Word of God allows us to grow in Christ. The Word of God instructs us on how to go with and for Christ. And the Word of God shows us how to show Christ. We are to know, grow, go, and show Christ. That's it. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter number 8. Nehemiah chapter number 8. The Scripture is often preached that it is an errant, infallible, inspired Word of God and absolutely is every single one of those. And it will never cease to be those things. But I want you to know today that on the fault of preachers like me and many others that we fail to add one more in there. And it doesn't start with an I, and I think that's why most Baptist preachers don't like it because of their alliteration. We like things that go. The Scripture is sufficient. We miss this key doctrine. The Bible is enough. I want you to know today, if all that took place in our worship services were based solely on the Word of God, for the Word of God, by the Word of God, through the Word of God, that would be enough. People ask about you know, needing help and needing things. If you come to me for help and you're struggling with something, I can do two things, and I will only do these two things. One is point, let you talk, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll be all ears. Let you get it all out because sometimes we need that. The next thing I'm going to do is take you from everything that you've just poured out, and I'm going to take you to the Bible. I'm not going to take you to Dr. Freud. I'm not going to take you to anybody else. <laughs> you might have tools and resources, but I'm going to take you to the Bible. The next thing I can do for you is pray through the Bible and pray for you. That's it. Why? Because that's what we need. It's sufficient. Either we believe this book to be all we need or we don't. And the sad truth is that most of us really don't. Most of us aren't satisfied with us, saith the Lord. We want, we want our what-ifs answered. Well, you know, I, I was reading and I, I, don't, I don't see this and so what about this? You know, I think this. One of the most dangerous things in Bible studies is going around the room and saying, well, what do you think it means? 
What do you think it says? We could do that all day long here and we'd accomplish nothing. It does not matter what you think and what I think. It matters what God says. And it, it should be sufficient. When you were a child, if you asked for a cookie and your mom said no, what would you do? Oh, yes, mom. Under your authority and leadership, I will certainly not have the cookie. Thank you. thought I'd try and ask. I'll head on to my room now. Any chores I can do for you? No, of course not. What do we do next? Hey, Dad. Don't pretend you didn't. Y'all ain't that spiritual. <laughs> I did too. You go to the next one, and you say, you know, but Dad, you know, can I have the cookie? And most of the time, Dad's like, either says one or two things. Sure, go ahead. I don't care. Leave me alone, right? Or says, what did your mother say? And the child goes then, well, well, mom said no, but I don't think she really meant it. I don't think it's that big of a deal. And dad goes, well, you know, if your mom said no, then no means no. The reason why you and I spiritually do the exact same thing is because what God says isn't enough. The reason why is because we want more, and we don't want what the Bible has to say. We want the Bible to say what we want it to say. We want the Bible to justify our sin. Justify our emotions, justify our actions. And by the way, there is more people who will take and twist the scripture to do what they want it to do than will preach it as it is. And as we talked about in Sunday school, that's the work of the devil. It's an antichrist doctrine, and it always has been there because what, God, what the devil would desire for you to do and what your flesh would desire for you to do, what the world would desire for you to do is to read the Bible but not believe the Bible. To carry the Bible but not with you on your heart or tongue to go through and maybe learn about the good stuff, but to throw out the bad stuff, whatever they deem. As we come to Nehemiah chapter 8, what was happening here in context is that there was now a rebuilding. A rebuilding of the people, a return, not just back from captivity, but a return from spiritual captivity. That's what you and I call revival. Revival Revival is, is not just a set meetings. In fact, that, that doesn't mean revival. See, what we find with revival is that whenever there is a hunger and a desire for the Scripture alone, there is always a heaven-sent revival in the way. Every time in church history that the people of God have returned to the Word of God alone, there has been a great move of the mighty hand of God. Most of us in here today would say We've prayed for it. We've asked for it. We've had our revival meetings. We come to church and we want a mighty move of God, but we don't want it the way He wants it. And the way He brings it about is through His Word alone. What happens here? In verse number 1, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man. Boy, you won't find that in a Baptist church, will you? Unity? It's almost the unpardonable sin for an independent Baptist, isn't it? Why? Because we want unity at our cost, at our preference, not on the Word of God. It says they come together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. What is estimated by most scholars at the return of this, that there were literally about 30,000, 40,000 people gathered for this. We want to talk about a crowd that day. It's a crowd. Notice this. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe, 
to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Ezra, as we're going to see in just a couple moments, is up there with other elders leading the people and not leading them to rebuild back how they want it, but according to what the Scriptures had already given. And the people gather together. And they don't say, Preacher Ezra, we want more politics. Tell us about the things in our day. The people by the thousands don't gather together and say, Preacher Ezra, we want to hear about how I can be a better this or a better that. And just give me three easy steps to do it, Preacher. I'm a simple man. The thousands of people don't gather together and say, Hey, Preacher Ezra, tell us what you think. The thousands gather together and they say as one, bring the book. Where's the beef? It's every preacher's dream to hear bring the book. By God's help and by God's grace, that's what I want to do. Every time I stand behind this pulpit, it's to open up this book. I'm not coming to bring you what I, what I might know or what I might think. I'm coming to bring you the Word of life because it's only the Word of life and the Word of God that can change you from the inside out. That can bring reproof, rebuke, and correction, and instruction, and righteousness, and doctrine, and, and all of these wonderful things that we desperately need today. We don't need less Bible. We need more Bible. We need to be saturated by the Word of God. We need to be ourselves, as it were, walking Bibles to a lost world that does not want the Scripture. But the sad truth is that God's own people very rarely do as well. Woe is us. They cry out, bring the book. The Scripture's called for. The Scripture's read. And we're going to find the Scripture's expounded. And revival takes place. We'd blame a good or a bad revival based on whether the, the preacher had emotions or if the songs were good or not, but not if the Word of God was just read. Most of y'all would have a heart attack if you show up to church and I preached first before we ever sang. Y'all would be, be calling for a business meeting if all we did is show up and we read the Word of God and prayed. We need something that we can do. We make worship that i got to do something. Why? Because we want it to be about our works, not about the Word of God and what He has done. The book is sufficient. The book, the book, the book. Throughout our history of Bible believers, we used to be called people of the book. Today, if I was on the outside looking in, I wouldn't know what I would say about the church. I don't know that I would call it call believers people of the book anymore. Why? Because most believers don't even know the book. The average believer doesn't read the book because the average believer doesn't want the book because the book is sharp and will convict us and correct us and we don't want that. We like what the smiling preachers on TV tell us. I got a good smile too, by the way. <laughs> you know what makes me smile more than anything? Is that when this book is opened up, our hearts are opened up to this open book. 
that God by His Spirit takes these words on a page and does a work in a heart. And the reason why we don't see such today is because we don't really want such today. Because it would mean we might have to change. It would mean we might feel a little uncomfortable. Moving on, verse 2, and Ezra the priest, you know what he did? He brought the law. You know what he was preaching out of? Numbers. Leviticus. <laughs> he brought the word, is what he did. He brought forth the written word. It says he brings it before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning <laughs> until midday. Y'all thought, I preach long. You know what the word morning here means, or daylight? It means 6 a.m. in the morning when the sun comes up. You know when Ezra quit reading? It was midday. Six hours. Most of us in our average churches don't want six-minute sermons, let alone six hours of reading, just reading and expounding the Bible. It's not enough for us. And I'm talking about the preacher. I'm talking about my pastor friends. Men, if you watch this and you're my friend, preach the Word. These people are starved to death. They need the Word. They don't need nothing else. Today, hold me accountable and call for the Word. We'll call for nothing else. If you ask me for politics or opinion, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to tell you, go read the Bible and then come back to me. Matter of fact, don't just read a portion. Go read the whole thing then come back. All they do is they gather and he reads. This is our greatest need today. Could you imagine? From 6 a.m. to midday, and they don't have comfy pews, comfy shoes, nor do they have air conditioning. They're wearing robes and sandals, and they have just have been coming back in the recent days from captivity. But they have been in spiritual captivity so long that they'll stand for six hours to hear the Word of God because they know that's what we need. See, we don't handle much preaching and praying anymore. And by the way, it's not because our culture and our people today, you know, we've just got shorter attention spans. No, you've got a shallow heart and a shallow view of God. We don't have short attention spans. We just don't care near enough about God as we like to think. And that's what hurts. We make time for what we want to make time for. You'll be as close to God as you want to be. But look at what happens. They cry out for it and He gives it to them. There's no shallow faith here. There's no shallow preaching. There's no shallow response to it either. He says, The ears of the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the, pure, for the purpose. And beside him stood... A whole long list of names, Mathathiah, Shema, and Ananiah, and Uriah, and Hilkiah, and Messiah. On his right side, on the left, uh, Padiah, and Meshael, and Malchiah, and Hashum, and Hashbanan, and Zechariah, and Meshalem. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. 
Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, who's worthy. He's worthy because he is the great God. He's the only God. All the people answered, Amen. Amen. Lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The response of the people blows my mind. They didn't get emotional for emotional sake. They got a emotional in response to the truth of the word of God that was proclaimed. We're not here to get our emotions worked up. We're here to be worked up by the word of God. It's the word that delivers us from our emotions about who God is and the truth about who God is. We should be not emotional because, oh, that song sure gives me the tinglys. It should be the truth of the Bible that gives you the tinglys. It should be the truth of God's word that causes you to say, amen, amen. But it doesn't anymore because it's not enough for us. Their response, their ears of all the people were attentive. Boy, you want to talk about a preacher with a captive audience. He doesn't have to tell jokes or wear a nice looking tie. He's looking old and ragged and worn out and he climbs to the pulpit before the people and he cries out the word of God. Their ears were attentive. Their ears were attentive first because their hearts were attentive. How do you know their hearts were attentive? Because they're the ones that cried out, Bring the book! It says when they hear the word, all the people stood up, lifting up their hands. Some of our Baptist arms are so stiff that our brains and hearts are Baptist, but our arms are Presbyterian. Can't move, won't move, can't budge. Let's not blame the song or the preacher or the atmosphere, but let's blame our own hearts for not being prepared for the meat of the Word of God. If you don't get anything out of today, I can promise you it's not because this message wasn't for you and it was for somebody else. It's because your heart wasn't ready for worship. It says they worship the Lord with their faces in the ground. They're bowed before the Lord. We find that they, they weep. Verse 9, Ezra tells them, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Not when they heard the, the words of the preacher or when they saw his passion or excitement or they felt the tinglys because of the special song, which, mind you, I love those things. But they wept because they heard the words of the law and they realized what they were missing. They knew that they had left their God, but He had not left them. And they knew to whom to return. And they knew where to go and how to get there. And it was found in the book. The book. It says then too with distinction, it says in verse number 8, So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That's what a preacher is supposed to do. It's not my job to do anything else except open up this book and tell you what it says and how it changes us and should change us. Preaching comes down to three things when we preach a passage. And by the way, that's what we're called to preach is the passage of Scripture. To expound it. To exposit the Word of God. What God has to say. Our context. What does it mean in its context of the book? What's happening the content, what does that verse say and why does it say it and what does it mean? And our connection. 
How does that affect my heart? Reprove, rebuke, exhort, or teach me today? And by the way, as we already talked about, all Scripture is given for those purposes. There's not a jot or a tittle in here that you can't get or that the Holy Spirit won't use to change or convict your heart. So today, I would say this. The Word aims at your head and heart before it gets to your hands. But we like empty religion that tells us what to do with our hands so that we can convince our head and heart that we're right with God. I can't do that. Because one day I'm going to stand before God one day and give an account for what I preached out of this book and that I did preach the book. It must be said that it was throughly, throughly furnished to know all good works. Before we get to the good works, we've been throughly furnished by the Word of God through the Spirit of God. Today, many ask, what would you change in church today? What would you change in preaching today? If you could do one thing for the people of God today, what would it be? It would call us back to the Word of God, to Scripture alone. Time is too short to slumber and snore. Time is too short in your life and in the grand scheme of things for us to sit back and hold on until this ride's over. It's time to say, bring the book. And to hear the book preached, to understand it, to receive it, and to lift our hands, amen, amen, to bow our faces before God. And we might weep over our sin, but I would tell you this today, if that's your heart, look at what he says in verse 10. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet. Send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Today, the reason why we preach this book and stand for this book, proclaim this book, because it's this Scripture alone that the joy of the Lord gives us our strength. Today, if you don't know Christ, it's this Scripture that will convict your heart right now and you know if you're lost right now or not and you need to be saved today. It's no three easy steps. It's something by turning from your sins and trusting and by grace alone, through faith alone, and trusting in Christ and what He's done for you. That He died for you. That He rose again for you. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved as a Bible promise. But to those of you today, the rest of you who would say, I'm saved and I know I'm saved, I would say this. Is the Bible not to you just inspired and fallible and errant, but is it sufficient? When you walk through those doors, are you hoping to hear a favorite song or are you hoping to hear what God says? Do you want the book today? Do you want to be changed by it? Today, if you've been convicted by it, if you've been chastened by it, if you've been met by the Word of God today, it brings us now to a time of action that we might weep, but even more so that we might take our weeping and dry our tears from the Word of God and to have joy in the Lord. You want joy? It's found in this book. You want peace? It's found in this book. You want correction or conviction? It's found in this book. The Scripture alone. If our church could be known for things, there's a million things a preacher would love, wouldn't he? A million things you might love too. There's a million things that I'd like my life to be known for, my ministry to be known for. We could boil all these 
pillars that we're going to be looking at down to, it starts right here. The Scripture. If your life is out of whack, get in the Scripture. If your life is in whack, stay in the Scripture. We need the book. Today as we stand to our feet, we have a time of invitation. If you don't know Christ today, come. Ask Him to save you and He will. I'd love to take the Bible and to talk with you, to pray with you and to pray for you. Today, if you're just struggling, if you're just in need, whatever your need might be today, this altar's open. The music ain't even playing yet. It's open. Today, the Word of God has been presented. What will we do with it? Is the Scripture enough today? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and for the power that is found in it and not in this preacher. God, we thank you for your spirit that moves through your word, moves amongst your people. God, would you help us go with us today and help us to worship you in all things. We love you. We thank you once more for this time. In Christ's name, amen. after this song, Victory in Jesus, hymn number 353. God giveth us the victory. We didn't earn it ourselves. He gave it to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians.
God. 